Chapter Five of the Short Stop. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Rowdy Delaney, Idaho, USA. The Short Stop by Zane Gray. Chapter Five The Crack Team of Ohio. In the afternoon of that day, Chase was one of the forerunners of the crowd making towards the Findlay Ballpark. Most ballparks were situated in the outskirts of towns. Findlay, however, being a red-hot baseball center, had its grounds right in town on a prominent street. They were enclosed with a high board fence, above which the roof of a fine grandstand was to be seen. Before the gates, the irrepressible small boy was much in evidence. As Chase came up, he saw a ball fly over the stand, fall to the street, and bound away, with small boys in a wild scramble after it. To secure the ball meant admission to the grounds. Quick as a flash, Chase saw his opportunity and dashed across the street. He got the ball, to the infinite disgust of the small boys. The gatekeeper took it and passed Chase in. Players in gray uniforms marked Kenton were practicing, some out in the field, others on the diamond. Chase had never seen such a smooth baseball ground. The diamond was bare. All the rest of the field was green, level, sward, closely cropped. Chase thought a fellow who could not play well there was not worth much. As the noisy crowd poured in, filling the bleachers, and more slowly the grandstand, he thrilled to think what it would mean to him to play there. Then, when the thought came of what little chance he had, the old heart-sickness weighed him down again. By and by he would ask to see the manager, but for the moment he wanted to put off the inevitable. He stood in the aisle between the grandstand and the bleachers, leaning over the fence to watch the players. A loud voice attracted him. He turned to see a very large, florid man wearing a big diamond addressing a small man whose suit of clothes was as loud as the other fellow's voice. "'Hey, Mac, what's the matter with this bunch of dead ones you've got? Eleven straight games lost. You're now in third place and dropping fast. After starting out to set the pace, Findlay won't stand for it.' The little man bit savagely at the cigar, tilting it up in line with his stubbed nose and the way he frowned lowered the brim of his hat. "'Sure, it's a slump, Mr. Beekman,' he said, in conciliating tones. "'Now, you know the game. You're up. You're up in the fine points. You ain't like most of them wooden-headed directors. The boys ain't been hittin'. Castorius is my only pitcher whose arm ain't gone lame this cold spell. I've been weak at shortstop all this spring. But we'll come round. Now you just take that from me, Mr. Beekman.' The pompous director growled something and went up to the grandstand steps. Then a very tall fellow, with wide sloping shoulders and red hair, accosted the little man. "'Say, Mac, what's he beefing about? I heard him speak my name. Did he have his hammer out? Hello, Cass. No, Beekman ain't knocking you. He was knocking me. Sore on me because we're losing.' If some of them stiffs would stay away from the grounds and stop telling us how to play the game, we'd sooner break our bad streak. Are you going to work me today? How's your arm? Good. It's getting strong. What I need is work. When I get my speed, I'll make these puff hitters lay down their bats. 
With that, Castoria swaggered into the dressing-room under the grandstand, followed by the little manager. Chase left his post, went to the door, hesitated when he saw the place full of ball-players in the various stages of dressing, and then entered and walked straight up to the manager. "'I heard you say you needed a shortstop. Will you give me a chance?' He spoke distinctly, so that everyone in the room heard him. The manager looked up to speak, when Castorius bawled out, "'Fellows, here he is. He's been camping on our trail. I said somebody had jonahed us. It's the crooked-eyed hoodoo.' Ball-players are superstitious, and are like sheep, inasmuch as that they follow one another. The uproar that succeeded Castorius's discovery showed two characteristic traits, the unfailing propensity of the players to make game of anyone, and the real anxiety with which they regarded any of the signs or omens traditionally disastrous. How well they recognized Chase showed the manner in which they followed anything written about baseball. "'Hello there, Chase away. Where's your pants?' Hoodoo, Jonah, don't look at me with that eye. To the woods with yours. Chase stood there bravely, with the red mantling his face, waiting for the manager to speak. Once or twice Mac attempted to make himself heard, and failing, turned on his jibing players and ordered them to shut up. Then he said, Are you really the fellow there, Guyon? Yes. But he was a pitcher. You said you could play shortstop. I can play anywhere. Let me see your mitts. Stick out your hands. Chase's hands were broad, heavy, with long, powerful fingers. You're pretty young, ain't you? Where have you played? Chase told his age and briefly outlined his late experience. Name Hoodoo followed you, eh? Been up against it hard? Yes. Mac laughed and said he knew what that was. He thoughtfully pulled on his cigar. Now it chanced that he was not only an astute manager, but a born trainer of ball-players as well. He never overlooked an opportunity. He had seen seedier-looking fellows than Chase develop into stars that set the baseball world on fire. Nevertheless, having played the game himself, he was not exempt from its little peculiarities and superstitions. If his team had been winning, he certainly would have thrown any slant-eyed applicant out of the grounds. His small, shrewd eyes studied Chase intently. "'I'll play you today at short. Barnes, get this fella a suit.' Barnes, the groundkeeper, opened a locker and threw a uniform on the floor at Chase's feet. His surly action was significant of how thoroughly he had assimilated his baseball education. But he did not say anything, nor did the players, for at the moment there was a stern decision about the little manager which brooked no interference. Ordinarily, Mac was the easiest-going fellow in the world, overrun and ruled by his players. Sometimes, however, he showed an iron hand, but when he left the dressing-room, a storm burst over poor Chase's head. "'You blank-eyed idiot! What do you want to queer the team for?' "'This is a championship club, Sonny. Don't look at me with your bum lamp. I want my notice. I'm through with Finley. Now for the toboggan. Last place for ours.' Used as Chase had become to the manner of the badinage directed at him, he never encountered it like this. The players spoke good-naturedly, and a laugh followed each particular sally. Nevertheless, they were in deadly earnest, and seemed to consider his advent a calamity which he could have spared them. He dressed in silence, and avoided looking at them, as if indeed their conviction was becoming truth to him, and he went out on the grounds.
He got through the few moments of practice credibly, but when the gong rang calling the players in for the game to begin, a sudden nervousness and nausea made him weak, blind, trembling. The crowded grandstand blurred indistinctly in his sight. The players moved in a sort of haze, and what he heard sounded far off. Chase started into that game with a nightmare. When at bat, he scarcely saw the ball, and was utterly at the mercy of the Kenton pitcher. In the field, he wobbled when the ball came toward him. It bounded at him like a rabbit. It was elusive and teasing, and seemed to lure him to where it was not. It popped out of his hands, and slipped like oil between his legs. It had a fiendish propensity for his shins, and though it struck sharply, seemed to leave no pain. On the solitary occasion, when he did get his hands squarely on the ball, he threw it far over the first baseman's head, far over the right-field bleachers. He was dimly conscious that the game was a rout. The Findlay players, rattled by his presence, sore at his misplays, went to pieces and let Kenton make a farce out of it. He heard growls of disapproval from the grandstand, the roar from the bleachers, the hooting and tin canning from the small boys. And when the game ended, he sneaked off the field, glad it was over, and entered the dressing-room in a sick and settled hopelessness. Roar on roar greeted him. He fell on the bench and bowed his head in his hands. The scorn, invective, anger, and caustic wit broke about his deadened ears. Presently, Castorius stalked into the room, followed by Mac and several directors of the club. Cass was frothing at the mouth. Big, brown freckles shone through his pale skin, his jaw set like a bulldog's. With the demeanor of a haunting chieftain approaching a captive bound to the stake, he went up to Cass and tapped him on the shoulder. Say, did anybody, did anybody, did anybody ever tell you you could play ball? Chase lifted his face from his hands and looked at Cass. Yes, he said with a wan smile, but I guess they were mistaken. Cass opened his lips to say something further, but the words never came. He took a long look at Chase. Then went to his locker, sat down, and with serious, thoughtful brow began changing his clothes. Mac's sharp voice suddenly stilled the babble in the room. Gentlemen, either I run this team my way or not at all. That's it. I'm ready to resign now. Here, here, Mac, cool down, said one. We're perfectly satisfied with you. We know we couldn't fill your place. Beekman was a little hasty. He's a hard loser, you know. So never mind what's been said. Pull the team out of this rut. That's all we want. We've got confidence in you, and whatever you say goes. If you want money to get a new player or two to strengthen up, why speak out. Finley must be in front. Gentlemen, I don't need money. I'm carrying sixteen players now, and I've got the best team in the league. All I want is a little luck. Well, here's hoping you get it. The directors shook hands with Mac and filed out of the dressing room. When they were out of hearing, the little manager turned to his players. He seemed to expand, to grow tall. His face went white, and his small eyes snapped. "'Morris, go to the office and get your money,' he said. "'Stanhope, you've got ten days' notice. Ziegler, the bench for yours, and without pay till you can hold your tongue. Now, if any of the rest of you fellows have some ideas about running this team, sing them out.' He stamped up and down the room before them waiting with blazing eyes for their replies, but none came. Kaz, he shouted, confronting that individual. Are you a liar? W what? demanded Kaz, throwing his head forward like a striking hawk. 
Are you a liar? No, I'm not. Who says so? I'll take a punch. Did you try to pitch today? I had no steam. Couldn't break a pane of glass, replied Kaz evasively. Stow that talk. Did you try? No, I didn't, said Kaz sullenly. Now ain't that a fine thing for you to do? You, the best pitcher in this league, with more than one big manager watching your work. Ain't you ashamed of yourself? Kaz did not say so, but he looked it. I've got something to say to the rest of you, muckers. Of all the rotten quitters, you are the worst I ever seen. That exhibition you gave today would have made a dead one out of a five thousand volt storage battery. Here you are, a bunch of stickers that the likes of ain't in the rest of the league, and you fall down before a measly little slow ball, a floater that babies could hit. You put your boots on every grounder in sight. You let fly balls bounce off your head. You peg the ball in the air or at somebody's shins. It just takes a bad spell of luck to show some fellas yellow streaks. Saffron ain't one two six to the color of some of you. As Mac paused for a breath, someone grumbled, "Hoodooed, bah! You make me sick!" cried Mac. Suppose we've been hoodooed. Suppose we've fallen into a losing streak. It's time to bust something, ain't it? Then his manner altered. His voice became soft and persuasive. Boys, we've got to break our slump. Now there's Cass. You all know what a great twirler he is, and he throwed us down. Look at the outfield. Where's one outside the big leagues that can rank with mine? And they played today with two wooden legs. Look at Benny and Meade. Why? Today they were tied to posts. Look at reliable old Hicks behind the plate. Today he missed third strikes, overthrew the bases, and had eight pass balls. And say, did any of you steady up this youngster as I was given a chance? Did any of you remember when you was making your first bid for fast company? Now, I ain't got no more to say to you, except we're gonna brace and we're going through this league like sand through a sieve. With that, he turned to Chase, who had listened and now was ready to get his summary dismissal. Didn't make nothing of the chance you asked for, did you? He said brusquely. Chase shook his head. Lost your nerve at the critical time when you had a chance to make good. Here I need a shortstop. Who is fast and can hit and can throw, and you come along trailing hoodoo and muss up the game, put my team on the bum. Then there was silence, in which Mac walked to and fro before Chase, who still sat with his head bowed. Now you see what losing your nerve means. You're as fast as lightning on your feet. You got a great arm and you stand up like a hitter, but you lost your nerve. A ball player mustn't never lose his nerve. See what a chance you had, and I'm weak at short. Now, after I turn you down, you won't never get such a chance again. He kept pacing slowly in front of Chase, watching him narrowly. And when Chase at last lifted his pale, somber face from his hands, Mac came to a sudden stop. With some deliberation, he put his hand in his coat pocket and brought forth a book and papers. Then, in a different voice, in the same soft tones with which he had ended his talk to the other players, he said to Chase. Here's twenty-five dollars and your contract. It's made out, so all you have to do is sign it. A hundred a month is yours. Don't stare at me like that. Take your contract. You're on. And as sure as my name's Max Sandy, I'll make a star out of you. End of chapter five.